Welcome back to yet another episode of the Through the Better podcast, the second season of it, discussing the 2021 AFL season. And with me for the first time this year is Eli Duxon. Eli, how's it going? How's he been? Mate, can't really complain when the footy's back. Um, been absolutely unreal. Um, yeah, like we're going to discuss throughout this episode, um, for all the reasons pertaining to footy, just being back and back in Melbourne too. Um, which is absolutely unreal. So, nah, life's good. Um, no complaints at all from me, mate. And uh, I mean, I've got a couple. I've got a couple, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll delve into that soon. <laughs> good to hear, mate, and good to have you back on the podcast. In this episode, Eli and I will uh, discuss the round that's just happened, round one. We'll discuss our top two highlights, top two lowlights, and uh, then we'll discuss some of the big stories to emerge from round one before we dive into round two predictions, who we think will win, why and by how much, as well as give our thought about which game is the game of the round. There's a few There's a few candidates here, round two, shaping up to be massive, even bigger than round one, which I didn't even know how that's going to be possible after the round that we just had, and which game we think is going to be the blowout uh, of the round. Uh, spoiler alert. I think my blowout involves North Melbourne. Uh, moving on, though, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Moving on to the top two highlights of the weekend. Eli, you can go first. Which game was the highlight of the weekend for you? Number one, your first highlight. Well, it wasn't exactly a game, like, as we as I just mentioned before, just having crowds back in Victoria, the first three games of the round were at the G. Um, another couple of Marvel, um, it's absolutely unreal, especially the uh, going through the second wave that we did here in um, in Melbourne and, of course, the rest of Victoria as well, but uh, yeah, particularly in metropolitan areas. Uh, it was a very rough time and uh, it was good to still have footy going, but um, it was quite a few kilometres away. So um, it was just good to have football back in general. Um, good to see the crowds as well. And they were treated to a good game on Thursday night to start off too, which was... Uh, you never know what to expect um, round one, um, especially with Carlton. There's always a lot of optimism, especially the last few years, um, which often starts poor and ends well, ends well, ends poor, uh, starts well and ends poor. So um, it was good to see Carlton really give it up to Richmond for three and a half quarters. Um, but unfortunately, the uh, the good guys run it out. But yeah, that's my first highlight, Casper. How about, how about one of yours? Yeah, good shout. I'm going to say the Adelaide Crows with the Biggest upset. I reckon this is the biggest upset since the Gold Coast Suns beat Sydney at the SCG in 2018 to end their losing streak that season and at that ground and against the Sydney Swans too. Crows to win the stoppage clearance number by one and nearly match Geelong for sender clearances considering how strong on paper Geelong's midfield is. is a massive effort. To dominate contested marks 12 to 7 and to cause enough pressure to force Geelong into 62 turnovers when you yourselves only committed 52 or 53, that's incredibly impressive. But the most impressive of all was leading at halftime 73 to 35 against a team that came second last year. Like, gosh darn, Adelaide. Goodness gracious me. Where was this for most of last year? Oh, my goodness. That is absolutely incredible. Sports. Sorry, go ahead. Might I just add as well, not just a team that finished second, but a team that finished second and added the likes of uh, Sean Higgins and Jeremy Cameron and Isaac Smith to the list, even though there was no Cameron. Um, Higgins and Smith were still there and you can argue they're a better side than last year, but yeah, keep going. Exactly right. According to Fox Sports, it's the first time in 50 years since 1971 when the reigning wooden spooner won against a reigning grand finalist in round one of the preceding season. That year round one North Melbourne beat Carlton Taylor Walker take a bow five goals Texas back the big Texan is back the original big Texan sorry Mason Colts but yeah Adelaide Crows is uh they are my number one highlight how about your second biggest highlight of the Randy line and what I just said as well with that is how good was to see uh Texan slowing out with the kids um Texas 12 is his best day of his life. So um, that was fantastic. But um, yeah, it was more the upsets for me in general. My second highlight, um, even though one of them uh, was against my team in Sydney, um, I would argue that that was a pretty big upset. Um, but I think it's just really good for footy to have these teams come up and 
Um, I, I don't know if I'm, the, I'm in the minority here, but I felt like Adelaide were a much better team than what they than what they were. Like you look at some of the players that, that they have running out for them, it's sort of bewildering as to how that was so uh, recognisably poor last year. Um, and Sydney too, because uh, I look at that midfield, um, Kennedy and Parker, um, the addition of Hickey was a good one. Um, and then, of course, uh, you got guys like Ollie Florent, who was set to have a big year, um, Callum Mills, Isaac Heaney, the, the Jordan Dawson. They, they were primed to to really have a red-hot crack this whole season, I think. And um, it was surprising to me that they didn't last year, but um, it's great to have these teams um, up and competitive because um, it can be quite a stale game. You see a lot with the NBA that when you've only got five teams that um, out of the 30 in the NBA in particular, but um, we've only got a couple teams that can genuinely look like they'll they'll win every single week and uh, will be contending for the uh, premiership. It can get a bit boring. Um, so it was great to see the, those two clubs really, really kicking it up. So, um, and even GWS as well, they'll pretty poor last, or especially the second half or after the COVID res- uh, resumption last year. Um, so it was good to see them playing uh, the quality football that you expect them to um, with a list like they have. So um, yeah, my second highlight was just the upsets in general. Um, I, love, I love seeing it, even though, it was against one of my teams and that sort of goes into our, our next part, which is the low lights and it has to be the upsets for me. Um, Geelong and Brisbane, um, very, very poor. Um, that's all we have to say, really touch on the Geelong game of Brisbane's effort. All game was just, yeah, talk about recognizably poor. Um, I felt exactly, I felt like I was watching a 2018 version of ourselves in 2017 and 16, um, which was, very, very upsetting. Um, funny enough, being an upset. So, uh, yeah, it was good to see Joe Danaher kick a couple. Um, sorry, Casper. Um, especially, even though it was against Sydney as well because he was uh, touted to go there after after last season. So, um, it was good to get him, see him getting on the board early. But um, the way we finished the game, especially our second half, uh, it was just deplorable. Um, but, yeah, how about your lowlights, Casper? Well, I'll mention my second highlight before I get into my low lights. I'll say this, right? And I'm sorry, but I just, I, I, I want to dive into some of these statistics of Sydney's victory. Plus 63 disposals, plus 11 tackles. Normally when you dominate the disposal count like Sydney did, you, do, you don't also win comfortably the tackle count, but that's what happened. Plus two inside 50s plus 26 marks, plus 18 marks inside 50. Consider the first three goals of the match. And at that point, you're probably thinking, okay, well, I think a good result for the Swans would be an honourable loss at this point, right? Don't get smashed in round one of a new season. And then after halftime, 11 goals to six. You manage to get to halftime, scores are levelled, and you think, okay, okay, maybe Sydney can actually win this thing. Kick 11 goals to six after halftime, three goals apiece to the debutantes, Logan McDonald, Errol Golden, and also to Isaac Heaney, which is, Isaac is easily one of my favourite players in the league, and I think he's going, he's set to tear the competition apart this year. Now, imagine that forward line when Buddy is back, which, by the way, News just came out of the AFL. It's coming this weekend. Buddy is back. First game since round 23, 2019 against the Saints. And I am so excited to see the Sydney forward line because if they could kick 131 points against a team that finished second in the last at the end of the last two home and away seasons without Buddy Franklin, oh boy, I am very excited. Now, onto the lowlights. You talked about Brisbane. I'll talk about Geelong. And Patrick Dangerfield. First off, dear cats, how do you lose against a reigning wooden spooner while you consider yourselves, and many people consider you, premiership favourites? And how do you lose to them despite you kicking eight goals to four in the second half, and yet you don't lead at any point in the game? Attitude. Attitude is the answer to that. I reckon the Cats thought that this game was going to fall into their laps. And now they enter a key three-game stretch where they play Brisbane, a Hawthorne team, which, you know, were okay for most of the game, but they kick eight goals in the third quarter. That's still pretty good. And then they play Melbourne after that. And they might not play those games with Patrick Dangerfield. Because he might be rubbed out for them. 
or he should be rubbed out at least for them. Now, I don't think Dangerfield intended to cause injury, but granted, when I did see that, my first reaction was, man, that's a dirty, that's a dirty hit. That's a dirty bump. Maybe he was lucky to not be suspended after the incident with Nick Boston in last year's grand final. I don't think he'll be lucky this time around. And if, he, and if he's out for anywhere from one to three weeks, again, that stretch of games becomes even more treacherous for the Caps. Awful day for Geelong. My second low light, kind of a surprising one, Fremantle. Now, right, looking at all their outs before the game, you thought, okay, well, they're not going to win, right? You're not going to win against the Tolls. You know, May's going to have a day out. Lever's going to have a day out. Gorn's going to have a day out. But to concede the first six goals of the game was really disappointing, right? Everybody knows that when you play away from home, you've got to start well to silence the home crowd. Because when you have that home crowd advantage, it's like you have an extra player on the field with you. So that was disappointing. To lose the disposal count by 22, but also lose the tackle count by six and the tackle count inside 50 by eight. Injuries can't be an excuse for that. I think it was a lack of effort. Speaking of injuries though, heartbreaking injury for Pierce. Really heartbreaking. I, I, I hope that we get to see him back on the footy field in 2021. I really do. Uh, how about your second low light, Eli? You mentioned the upsets. You have another low light for me? Just on the uh, Fremantle as well, it's it was interesting because Longmuir really prided themselves and any side pride themselves on defense last year, especially when they lost some of their tall players. Um, guys like Brendan Cox really playing a role and uh, Luke Ryan having a, an Australian season, uh, really. So um, it was interesting, interesting to see that they sort of let themselves down in that era because like Brisbane did when we came back, we really shut down the, uh, the opposition scoring avenues um, and then we really started to fire. So um, defense is always, or almost always the best offense. Um, but yeah, my second low light was... Um, just a little one, but probably Trelaw being booed. Um, obviously, wasn't as much as um, it could have been, um, especially with half a crowd, uh, half the crowd capacity. But um, I thought that was quite poor for the, the fans that did, um, especially considering that he he was nothing but loyal um, until Collingwood decided that they wouldn't be. And I'm sure we're going to touch on that a, a bit later, but um, I thought that was quite classless. Yep. I agree with that. And look, by the end of it, he was applauded, but it was just disappointing because, you know, Trelaw, he's shown no malice towards Collingwood. You know, he, he, he seemed, from the interviews that he's done, he's, he seems quite devastated to, to leave that club and to leave it the way that, you know, it, it happened. And so for some Collingwood supporters to, to boo him, that's just... It makes me shake my head and just sort of any Collingwood supporters listening, right? We're not just bagging Collingwood because, you know, a lot of supporters do that. But I, I'll, I'll never understand the booing the old player who used to play for you just because he moved, right? Essendon, we did that with Paddy Ryder when Ryder played for Port against us, you know? It's just and that's something I never understood. Um, never understood at all. Anyways, moving on to the big stories to emerge from round one. Nice little segue there, Eli. Thank you. First one we'll discuss is Collingwood. Oh, boy. Collingwood, Collingwood, Collingwood. Look, no one can deny that their defense, led by Darcy Moore, is one of the best defenses in the competition. Problem is, the rest of the ground, especially the forward line, is pretty inept. I don't think that they'll be able to kick a high enough score to be able to win a lot of these matches coming up. But it's, I, I kind of feel like it's, it's, it's a bigger problem than that because you look at their best players, right? And they're still the same best players that, that's been the same for the last few years, right? So you've got Pendlebury, the side bottom, he's not playing, but you know when he'll come back, he'll have some class. They've got Darcy Moore, you've got Jeremy Howe. And I'll touch on Brody Grandy in a second. But you look at all these players and you look at how old they are. There's not that many. You, you would think that Pendlebury doesn't have a lot of seasons left in him. Sidebottom probably doesn't. Jeremy Howe probably doesn't. And once they retire, 
my question is, does Collingwood have enough depth to be able to cover for them? And I just think that that's a major kind of negative for Collingwood at the moment, is that I don't think that they have enough young talent coming through to be able to replace those champions when they do retire. What do you think? Well, I suppose the uh, the really good thing about the VFL East Coast competition uh, is that we're really going to be able to see how the depth stacks up to the depth of every other team. Um, so I think that'll be a good gauge once that uh, once that uh, commences, which is, I believe, in uh, not next weekend, but the following weekend, um, but very soon regardless. Um, so that'll be a very good measure for them uh, and every other team as well, of course. Um, but I think what was probably most disappointing about the loss, and no doubt the Bulldogs are a very good side and, um, you know, that they were just going to uh, go go to another level this year. Um, and they showed that for, for most of the game. Um, and even guys like Bailey Smith turning into, oh yeah, 35 disposals and two goals. Um, he's not just a, a handy midfielder anymore. Um, he's shown that he can step up with the, the rest of their already elite midfield um, and notably elite midfield too. So, um, but I, I still think Collingwood showed glimpses um, for most of the game. They certainly gave themselves a good chance to win the game at times, um, but it probably wasn't the performance that they would have liked uh, coming out of the treacherous off-season that they had, which we don't need to touch on anymore because everyone knows how, how deplorable it was. So um, I think they really needed to come out and try and make a statement, not just um, to the league, but just to rebuild some belief within themselves, within the four walls of the club, um, really understand that they're going in the right direction because now this probably puts a bit of pressure back onto the Nathan Buckley, uh, to be fair, because he's questioned um, his involvement with the club himself. It hasn't, that hasn't been external noise. That's, that's come straight from him. And he, he's openly said that if, if he's no longer the right fit to be coach, he's, he's happy to um, depart. But, um, and you, you also look at the who's left to come back in the side and it's not a lot. Um, you've got Steel Sidebottom and probably Chris Main. They're probably the only two that um, you think for sure they'll come back in. Um, I've probably, I might have missed someone, but um, just off the top of my head, I'm quite certain that they're the, the two guys that will walk straight into their 22 or 23 now. Um, so, yeah, I think they probably would be a little bit disappointed. Um, but in a low scoring game, um, it probably does suit them. You're right. Um, but they they are missing that that just that that key target I think going going forward. But um, yeah, wasn't wasn't the ideal start for them. I don't think. I agree with that. Um, definitely not the ideal start. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to uh, Liam, another co-host on this blog, uh, on this podcast, excuse me, and um, I I asked him about what he thought about the Grundy deal. And it's interesting, in that conversation, he had the audacity to compare the Brody Grundy deal that he just signed at Collingwood to the Buddy Franklin deal back in 2014 with the Swans. Uh, and at first, I was taken, I was taken aback um, by that. And I started to you know, try and say, well, you know, the, the Buddy deal, you know, it's not just about winning premierships, you know, boarding, you know, it's like Plugger 2.0, right? It's about bringing in crowds, you know, putting bums on seat in a mostly rugby league dominated city. But then I thought about it and it kind of makes sense because Buddy in 2014 and the Swans had a very slow start to the year. Now, I remember coming into round five that season, the Swans had lost three of their first four games uh, pretty comfortably too, including losing to the Giants for the first time. And people were, you know, calling it the worst deal ever, right? Look at all this money that Swans have and Buddy's not even firing. Well, went in round five, kick-started, acted as a catalyst for us to make the grand final that season. Won't talk about the grand final, but that's besides the point. Buddy has since gone on to prove Sydney's investment was wise, even if it was very pricey. Brody Grundy, right? Similarly, very slow start to the season. Uh, he wasn't good against the Dogs. But I think he has an opportunity to, to turn it around for the rest of the season, whether or not it happens straight away in round two against the Blues or whether or not it happens slowly. But the pressure's on him now because Collingwood went ahead and signed him to a massive deal worth a metric ton of money. And then 
they go and they kick Adam Chalor out because they didn't have enough money to pay him and they wanted to sell their cap space or whatever it was. And they kicked out Jaden Stevenson, who had a great game for North Melbourne. They kicked out Atu Bosanabalagi, great young, great youngster, also in North Melbourne, and kicked out Phillips, who went to Hawthorne, kicked a goal for the Hawks in that third quarter avalanche. So now the pressure comes on Grundy and it comes on the Collingwood list management because if Brody Grundy can't turn it around, the discontent for that deal and discontent will only continue to grow as the season progresses from Collingwood supporters. So I can say to Brody Grundy is, I wish you all the best. I wish you all the best. But I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the year, if things don't improve, that some of the uh, people responsible for the list at Collingwood might need to uh, find themselves another job. That's what I'm saying. That's a very big call. Mm, mm, very big call indeed. Um, moving on to, from a team that disappointed to a team that really disappointed. Now, I tipped Geelong to miss the finals in the first week episode, right? And I know that was a big call. It's a kind of a gamble, right? Because Geelong has been the best home and away team of the 2010s and that continued into 2020 as well. But they showed nothing in round one to, to, to prove me wrong. It looked like during that first half that Geelong was struggling with the weight of expectation because the expectation is definitely there. It's flag or bust for them. You know, if they finish second again, it's a fail, right? My question to you is, Eli, do the Cats deserve to be premiership favourites or amongst the premiership favourites based off of what you saw in round one? Based off what I saw in round one, um, I I think it's pretty unfair to judge um, the way that uh, a team's going to be in uh, six, seven months' time, um, just off two hours of footy. Um, but you're right. You're right. The, there was, there was a, they, they just rolled up just expecting to, to get the win. Um, but showing up just isn't enough sometimes. And, um, and Adelaide knew that. Adelaide knew they are up against it. They had nothing to lose. Adelaide goes out and loses by 10 goals. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, well, probably fair enough. Um, but they came out. They stuck it to them. And... Uh, yeah, definitely caught Geelong by surprise. And but like I said earlier, that they've, they've still got some really good players now. At least you look at Crouch Sloan. Um, it, hopefully Walker maintains that form because he lost it for uh, a big patch of last year. But then yeah, guys like Brody Smith, Rory Led, um, Tom Duday who stepped up into leadership roles, um, a leadership role I should say. Um, they've still got a very good team. But yeah, Geelong, I still think they deserve to be um, up there as favourites for the for the flag. Um, and I think Geelong know that as well. And that's why they've gone and recruited experienced and um, older, I'll say old players because um, I think Higgins wouldn't have too many years left in him. Isaac Smith isn't going to be there um, and, uh, until 2030. That's for sure. You know, like the, a lot of the teams that um, are really trying to rebuild, they'll be recruiting guys that will stay there for the next five, six, seven years. But um, they know that they're just going to try and get the flag for this year. So um, I, I think we'll see a big difference when Jeremy Cameron comes back into that side um, because he's going to redirect so much for Geelong and so much service. Uh, and, you know, the service to him is still going to be very quality. Uh, and then it's going to get to the feet, um, get to the feet of him. And then you've got guys like, um, I mean, Ablett's a big loss there, um, but then you've got guys like Parfit. Hopefully Akin steps up a bit. Um, Grind Myers and his uh, unusual uh, kicking technique. Um, I know one of my Geelong friends is somewhat critical of him, but, um, but he's proven to be a goal kicker in the past. So um, they've got class on every single line. Um, and I think much like the Storm on the Melbourne Storm on the weekend, uh, that they really miss Cam Smith and his direction out there. They're missing guys like Abbott, Abbott at one end and Harry Taylor at the other. Um, but, but Mitch Duncan, he, he comes straight back into that side. Um, as well. So um, a bit of class still yet to come in. Um, and I think it probably gives them a lot to think about uh, much like Brisbane. It's 
Um, you don't want to come in and breeze through the whole season um, because you face no challenges, no adversity. Um, and you don't want to have those type of performances. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes it's a good reality check. Uh, maybe not even reality check um, because I don't think that will be the reality for them this season. Um, but it's good to have some things to think about and look at um, immediately because you're going to be better for it in five, six, and then of course, 2025 20, weeks time. So um, I still think they're, they're primed to, to win the flag um, and they certainly deserve to be in that position, but you're right after their performance on the weekend, um, it's, it's certainly fair enough to question them. Um, but I think they'll be better for it, um, which uh, we'll discuss later, but I'm looking forward to see how they bounce back next week against my Lions. Whoops, sorry about that. Muted myself. Uh, speaking of your Lions, Tom Hawkins had a very quiet day. Very quiet day. Beaten by, I think, a second gamer, which I believe kept in goalless. Very impressive effort. Um, coming up against Harris Andrews, He's got to shake that off, Tom Hawkins. If Geelong has a chance to, to beat Brisbane, he's got to shake that off. Because Harris Andrews, I think, is the best defender in the competition in the post-Alex Rance era. And now I think he, he's, he poses a genuine headache for most forwards in the competition. He probably causes most forward and forward coaches nightmares when they know that they're playing Brisbane. And so I think that Hawkins just has to shake that game off. And he has to, he just got, if, if Brisbane's a, any chance, if Geelong, excuse me, is a chance to beat Brisbane, he's got to take that game by the scrap of the neck. Moving on to... Sorry, Caspi did just cut out of that last point. Um, he said if, if Geelong had any chance to beat Brisbane, they should. <sighs> Gotta love internet, don't you? If you're wrong, uh, any chance to beat Brisbane, Tomahawk has to take the game by the scruff of the neck. And I think he's got a very good chance because he did do that. And you saw that in the preliminary final last year. Um, he really had good games. And even the uh, during the regular season, he did perform quite well against Harris Andrews. He, uh, um, But I wouldn't be surprised as well if guys like someone like Jack Payne goes to him as well, uh, even though he's only young. Might allow Harris Andrews to uh, frame himself around uh, around the ground, um, but yeah, we'll discuss that later. Um, so continue on. Gotta love internet cutting out, don't you? Oh boy, I've missed the internet quality here in Australia. Moving on to the Sydney Swans. Very impressive, very impressive. Because while the Crows were, I reckon the Adelaide was slightly more impressive. They were playing at home. Sydney had to do it away. At the Lions, and Brisbane has won in the best home ground advantage in the competition. They've had that since the start of this great run in 2019. They've been almost impossible to beat at the Gabba. And the Swans did it and did it comfortably. Can Sydney make the eight? Buddy's coming back. Heaney's playing well. Youngsters like Golden and McDonald coming through. Players like Keeney and Florent coming into their own, coming into their prime. Can the Swans see September action in 2021? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was, like I said earlier, I was surprised they weren't up there um, a little bit last year. Maybe not in the eight, but at least um, showing some heart for like throughout every single game because they did show that um, there were some games where they just wouldn't rock up. Um, but I think it is now is the time because guys like Kennedy and Parker, like we were talking about Geelong, um, they're not going to have, they're not going to be part of the next run as such. The young guys coming through now, um, I mentioned Ollie Florent, um, he's set for a big year. Um, but yeah, they're not going to be part of the next run. Guys like Buddy too. Um, I think they certainly can make the ad, especially if they show that um, and budding some young, young boys early. Um, I think that was so important and they, they performed so well. And like you said, up at the, uh, up at the Gabatoire, they, um, that they certainly showed everything that would suggest that they would be there and scoring 125 points um, against the team. Like I was talking about Freo early, but against a team that has really prided themselves on their defense, no matter how poor they were, um, you could argue that Sydney did force a lot of that um, behavior and attitude and stuff, um, just the way they played and the way they approached it. Um, 
and especially in that second half to get out to a seven goal lead at one point um, and yeah, win by five goals. That's uh, that's an easy win in anyone's books. Um, but of course, Brisbane still did score 94 points. Um, so you score 94 points. Um, you could probably expect to win six, seven out of 10 games, maybe. Um, so that is an area that they would like to sharpen up on. Um, but yeah, if they can score 120 points every game, they'd be pretty stoked, um, but it won't happen. Um, and it's not going to happen. Um, but I certainly think they can make the eight, Casper. So you must be a very proud, um, somewhat Swan supporter. <laughs> Look, right. I'll be on heading into this season. I thought, oh, there's going to be yet another year where neither of my teams make the finals. I thought the whole point of having two teams is that you're almost guaranteed that one of them will see September action. Right? <laughs> and in my defense, in my defense, before 2020. I reckon the last time that neither Sydney nor Essendon made the finals was like in the 90s, right? Been a pretty good stretch, been a pretty good run. And I thought, oh, 2021 is going to be the second year in a row where that's going to happen. And then the Swans come out and do that. So I'm hopeful. I'm excited. I don't know if if they do make finals. I don't know if they'll be able to do anything once there. But um, no, I'm very excited about these Swans. You know, they've, they've arrived. It's definitely arrived. I am. Ah, I'm so excited. Now, another team that has excited a lot of people, um, unfortunately, didn't get the win, suffered a massive injury, but nevertheless, did not lose any admirers for their effort in the West. And I'm talking about the Gold Coast Suns. My question is, though, last year, before Matty Rowell's first big injury, the Suns were on a hot streak. After that game... They won, I think, two more games for the rest of the year, including one of them against North Melbourne. You know, no offense, North Melbourne. That wasn't super tricky to do last year. Just saying. So now my question is, can the Suns, because we know they can win games against teams that are worse than them or around them on a ladder without Matt Rowell, can they win games against decent to good teams? without Matt Rowe, because we don't know the extent of the injury. It didn't look good. It was one of those injuries where watching it, you think there's nothing in it, which of course is always, always the worst injuries. The ones where it looks like there's nothing in it. Innocuous. One of the commentators said that it looked like a PCL injury, which I don't know how long that, that probably might rule him out for the rest of the year. I don't even know, but they're going to be without him for a while. Can they compete against the really good teams? without Matty Rowe and win games against those really good teams without him? Well, I think regardless of how long he is out for, um, they're, they're just going to have to get used to it. And they were used to it last year. They they played majority of the season, like you said, without him to, to little to no success. Um, so I, I, it's not a foreign thing for them. And I don't think that a lot of their game plan will be focused and centered around Matt Rowe. Um, because yeah, like like you said, he only played was it three four four games was it? He got injured around four, um, or around five. So yeah, uh, the the they're so used to him not being there. Um, I don't think it should affect the way they go about things. Um, but to your question, can they win against the the decent good teams? Um, look, they're going to find it difficult, and I think they would have found it difficult with Matty Rao. Um, but I think they're going to show a lot more improvement from last year to this year because they showed all the signs of probably being able to contend for September action early last year. Um, but then after Matty Rao's injury, um, there was no indication that they could. But it probably galvanised them, uh, that injury last year, and it probably will galvanise them as a group again. Um, especially a lot of the young guys coming through. like they, they really stepped up last year, and I think they'll continue stepping up. Um, and then I think Lockie Waller is he's continuing to show why he was worth that that number two pick from Frio. Um, Tuke Miller, uh, he's, he's been a good accumulator and he stepped up into a leadership role over the last few seasons. I think he'll keep playing well. David Swallow, if he can keep fit, he'll keep he'll keep performing. Then you got young guys, especially coming out of that back half. Um, Charlie Ballard's your, your Sam Collins. He was he won the BNF last year. He's a great player. Um, Connor Butterick, Jack Lukosh is coming out of that back line. They've got some very good ball users. And you saw in the practice match against Brisbane, 
they, I know it's just a practice match and you shouldn't base anything, um, any predictions on the season off that, but they actually dominated that first half. They were unbelievable. And it's the way they used it out of that back half, um, especially now with this new stand on the mark rule. Um, they're going to be able to hit those 45s and uh, run off and get good handballs and gain good meterage. And like I said, because they use it so well, um, I think it's going to give guys like Ben King some good service. Um, Sam Day is just a big present down there as well. Um, and then you chuck guys like Rankin at their feet. Um, I think they have a good chance to be competitive. Um, will they make the eight? I don't think so. Can they? I wouldn't rule it out. Um, yeah, it's it's too early to base anything off, I think. Uh, just the same with Sydney. The next month of footy is really going to show where they're at. Uh, was it just a flash in the pan, great day type thing, same with Adelaide? Or is it that level of output that they can continue to provide? Um, which I'm, I'm so looking forward to seeing. Like I said, it's it's really good for footy to have these teams stepping up and being able to kick it, uh, match it with the uh, the top four. Um, because coming into the season, I think a lot of people are pretty set on who's going to dominate, you know, like it's pretty similar to last year and um, these clubs have recruited well. Um, I think Port Adelaide being one that um, probably, I think, deserve to be fag favourites. Um, and of course, Richmond, it pains me to say. So if Gold Coast can match it with these teams, um, uh, for at least at least three quarters of footy, um, I think it's a very good signs for them. Of course, you want to do it for four. And if they can do it for four, I think they've got good chances to win. Um but I think there's probably too much class on these other teams for them to probably win those games. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, yes. Um, it's certainly possible. Um, we're really excited for them because it's good for footy and it's good for footy in Queensland. Um, the rivalry between Brisbane, uh, they were in Brisbane last year, um, even though it's not malicious by any means. Um, it just generates, generates a lot more interest and the more we can infiltrate on the NRL and the rugby, <laughs> the rugby union presence up there as well. Um, better uh, will be as a footy community. Not that we're, not that we hate rugby. Um, that's certainly not the case, but we like footy more. Absolutely. It's a far better sport. AFL, <laughs> please, please, please put one of the Gold Coast Brisbane Q clashes this year on a Friday night. Can you imagine how big that would be? Oh, goodness gracious me. I would break into somebody's house to watch that on TV. Oh, that would be so exciting. Look, the problem for Gold Coast has always been their consistency. Started off the season hot and then faded away badly. Can they do it for a full 23 rounds, 22 games? We'll see. I'm slightly skeptical because, again, they haven't shown in the past that they can do it. But yet again, they managed to nearly beat the Eagles without Maddie Rao for most of the game and with Isaac Rankin having a quiet game, I think he had only 10 or 11 touches. And you mentioned how great David Swallow was. Jared Witts had only, I think, 11 or 12 touches. So if Witts and Rankin had a good game, they probably would have won that one. So it should be it should be interesting to see the goal. And it's also, it's really hard to, um, to say that these teams um, should be based based on form as to how they can perform for the following season because you looked at Collingwood in 2018, I think they finished 15th um, or 13th and Richmond finished in a similar position and they won the flag the following season. Brisbane finished bloody 16th or 17th and we come up and we finished second for the last two seasons in a row. So um, anything is possible. Um, and I think West Coast are a quality outfit, so they probably did get tested there early. Um, but yeah, like you said, super exciting to see how they go about things, especially if they can get firing and I think Stewie Jew is certainly the man for the job so um, I'm hoping he can sort of rally him and uh, get him up and about because we've seen in the I don't know if you've seen in the making their mark doco he certainly loves a good rev up and uh, he'd get me up and about that's for sure I wouldn't be one to <laughs> want to question him or get in his way <laughs> look I, I haven't watched that I really really want to watch it although my favorite clip was on Dadley Nick Nat really reacting to Riley O'Brien. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, broken phone incident from last year. Uh, look, it's really interesting. I saw on Fox Sports, they reported that this round was the second time since the ATM team competition started that the top, uh, that the bottom four teams from the previous season, uh, three, of, three out of the four of them won in round one. So it's back in 2012. Uh, I think Port won in round one, 2012. Uh, I think Brisbane and there was another team that I can't quite put my finger on. But yeah, really interesting. The first time in nine years that that's happened. 
And yeah, well. to be honest with you, it's great for the competition. If you have a point out another American competition, the NFL always get the Steelers and the Patriots, you know, always get the same team dominating, right? And Tom Brady. You know, you've got fans of the Cleveland Browns and the Jacksonville Jaguars who are just like, well, when is our turn? And now you look at Cleveland dominating. It's good, it's good for American football, changing of the guards, and it's good that footy has, you know, sure, you've got a couple of teams that build dynasties, but there's there's rarely a a period of time where you get the same three or four teams dominating. I think 2008, 2007, 2008 to about 2010, 2011, it was always the Cats, the Pies, the Saints, and the Dogs who were the top four or five teams that year in, in, in that stretch. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. It's really good to see. Really good to see these young teams coming up. Speaking of coming up, can they carry the momentum into round two? Round two predictions starting off on Thursday night football, a monster clash between two Melbourne-based teams that absolutely hate each other and everybody else hates them too. Carlton versus Collingwood at the MCG. I'll start off with this one, Eli, if that's all right. I'm saying the Blues by 13 points, and I'll tell you why. I think they played better in round one than Collingwood, and also they had more to lose than Collingwood if they start the year two and zero. If Carlton want to prove that they are ready to make finals for the first time since 2013, they cannot afford another honourable loss against a team that they should beat. And it starts on Thursday night, Carlton to win. Absolutely agree with you there. Um, I, I can't see uh, Carlton giving up the way they did, uh, not giving up, but um, dropping off of that, that uh, second half of the final quarter last Thursday. Um, so I think they'll be primed. They'll be excited for it. Um, but I think uh, after what he would probably consider a disappointing season last year, I think Cripper's going to absolutely just fire up. Um, and you saw Zach Fisher as well with that uh, absolutely amazing mullet. He will, um, he's turned into a player that can be a handy ball user on the outside to, it could be, not a genuine inside mid, but he can win his own ball and he's certainly going to use it on the outside too. And uh, he'll be getting a lot more midfield minutes. Um, so I think the way the, the way they played, they almost emulated Richmond's style last week. Um, they ran hard um, and they used certainly utilised the big one-out uh, contest um, inside forward 50, um, isolating Harry Mackay. And if he can brush up on his um, goal-kicking inaccuracy, um, I think if you had a, yeah, I think he had a couple of opportunities to put Carlton in front in the last quarter there. So um, I think they'll just, they'll just be too too good for Collingwood. Um, but I would be surprised if Collingwood really bounced back in. So I'm going to go a little bit closer and say Carlton by goal. A real coin toss to start off the round. And it continues on the Friday night. Geelong hosting Brisbane at GMHBA Stadium. Eli, can your Lions do it? I certainly hope so, and I think uh, my bias will come into it here and say that we will win. But um, again, this is the game that I'm looking forward to the most, Casper. Um, I honestly think that um, both. Well, I think it's no secret that both teams will be utterly disappointed um, as as were their fans and or are their fans <laughs> um, because it still uh, still stings to to start like that, especially um, thinking. Um, you think you go into every game thinking you can win, especially the way we've uh, been over the last couple of years. So I'm going to go Brisbane. I'm going to say we'll go three goals, um, but I think it can go either way. Um, but I think we'll be primed to, to bounce back a bit, a bit more than, than Geelong because, like you said, maybe Geelong is just a little bit lethargic. Um, that, that could have been part of it. So I'm hoping that the same Geelong rocks up with that Paddy Dangerfield and uh, we take the chocolates there. What do you think? I agree with you. Brisbane to win. It'll be, a, I think, closer than three goals. I'm tipping Brisbane by five points. And the reason why I think that is this. I tipped Brisbane to win the flag this year. I tipped Geelong to miss finals football before the season starts. <laughs> now, Geelong will be better once Cameron joins them. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think I saw Chris Scott hinting that that's not going to happen this weekend. If it doesn't happen this weekend, again, Geelong showed nothing, even in that second half comeback when it looked like they were a chance to steal it. They showed nothing to, to prove that it will be a quick turnaround for them. If this game was at the Gabba, 
I would say Brisbane by three or four goals. But even when Geelong's not playing to the best of their abilities, their home ground is still a difficult ground to win at and a difficult ground to beat them comfortably at. I think that Brisbane will achieve one of those things that win in a close one, five points. Moving on to Saturday afternoon football at the SCG, the Swans and the Crows. All of a sudden, this game becomes much watch footy. This is very interesting. I'll go first on this one. I think Sydney by 10 points. Now, that's not just my bias talking. I do have a slightly peculiar reason for tipping this, right? I think it'll be close because these two teams have played a few really close games against each other recently. Obviously, the obvious one that comes to mind is round one last year when the Swans snuck home by three points after the slow start. Normally, when a team has a massive upset, the week after that, there's a come down, right? So I mentioned before, early in the podcast, Gold Coast being in Sydney, round 18, 2018. Next weekend, they get crushed by Carlton. Collingwood last year, elimination final, pipped the Eagles, big victory, big emotional win, travel back to Queensland, get crushed by Geelong. However, both of these teams have had two massive upsets. I think Adelaide's come down will be slightly bigger, though, because I think their upset was bigger than Sydney's, if that makes sense. Not only was Geelong a better team than Brisbane last year, but Adelaide were a worse team than Sydney last year. Ultimately, though, I think this game will be decided by the respective forwards. I think Sydney has too many scoring options for the Crows to be able to handle. When you've got Golden, uh, Florent can sneak forward, Parker can sneak forward, you've got Heaney, you've got Logan, and guess who's back? Back Big again. Buddy's <laughs> back. Tell a friend. That's right. Buddy is back. I'm so excited to see him. Meanwhile, Adelaide, they've got Tex Walker. Nothing wrong with Tex. But when you have four or five forward options in one forward 50 versus one dominant threat in the other forward 50, I just can't see the Crows troubling the Swans that much on the scoreboard. That being said, though, both teams are young. Both teams are exciting. That's why I think it'll be close. Then you should win, though. Yeah, I'm going to be boring and agree with you there. for all the reasons you mentioned, um, I think I think it'd be probably a two goals. Um, both teams are certainly going to be um, buoyed by the way they went about things. But you saw Geelong still had a genuine chance in that last quarter to win the game, and you make you make the easy argument that Geelong's much better uh, side than Sydney, uh, as far as we know. Um, nothing to suggest that so far, but I think that's what our, our logic could dictate and should dictate. But um, I think if a side um, can get a run on, it's often not because they have, they've built the momentum just for being good. It's because the other side's dropped off. Uh, for whatever reason that might have been, um, Adelaide certainly led Geelong into the game. Um, and I think that if they've done that um, in a game where they've dominated for 75, 80% of it, um, I think they're likely to do it again. And the way that Sydney came out and played against uh, Brisbane and forced uh, a, a flag contender to play that way as well, I think they'll have no problem doing it against Adelaide. But um, I still think Adelaide will be competitive. And like I said, because they're going to be so uh, so buoyed after the game last week, they're going to have a lot of confidence and take a lot of confidence in. And if they can get a good start, it should be a good game for the uh, majority of the contest. So, but yeah, Sydney for two goals. It's going to be an interesting game, that is for sure. I think what will be a less interesting game, I'm looking forward to this one, Port Adelaide versus Essendon at the Adelaide Oval. The last time that these two teams met was in round 17 last year and Port won by 50 points. Joy, uh, will it happen again? I don't think so. And I'll say, right, it's mostly just hoping, but I'll say this. Essendon had a bruising encounter against Hawthorne when North Melbourne gave Port Adelaide a bruise-free encounter, which is why I don't think... Normally, when you have a team that has a bruise-free encounter, the next weekend, even if they should win that game comfortably, they tend to perhaps struggle more than they should. I'm not saying that Port's going to struggle, but I'm just saying I don't think they'll blow us out. 
even if Stringer returns, however, which I don't think will happen, but even if the package returns, the faith port, I don't think Essendon will win. I don't think we're a good chance to win our first game of 2021. Port have a really tricky fixture coming up. Rounds three through 10 is a really tricky stretch for Port Adelaide. And they know that. They can't afford to slip up. And they won't. Port Adelaide by 27 points. Yep, this is where I might disagree with you a little bit. Um, got, to, got to keep it interesting. Um, but I think this is going to be my blowout game. Um, Essendon were fantastic last week, but that was against Hawthorne. And in the third quarter, they let, up, they let eight goals come through and it was against Hawthorne. If they do that, if they let the sort of guard down like that against Port Adelaide this week, they could let through, they could, they could let through 10, 12 goals in a quarter. Um, and I think Port Adelaide are a good enough side to be able to just maintain dominance for a larger stretch of the game. I don't think it's going to be one quarter where Adelaide lets Port Adelaide, uh, Essendon let Port Adelaide back in the game. Um, I think Port Adelaide is just going to maintain a stronghold uh, for majority of the contests. Um, and I'm going to go Port Adelaide by eight, nine goals. Um, I think they've just that they've shown, or a lot, especially last season, um, they could have very easily been playing in the grand final. Um, they were a kick or two out of it, so um, and knocking off Richmond at that as well, which uh, uh, unanimously should probably be the uh, everyone's least least liked team in the competition, but also they're probably the best team in the competition. Um, and for for them to get up, I think the last you just sort of solidified that, but. Um, I think Port Adelaide would just be too too strong all over the ground for Essendon um, in this competition. So this will be my blowout of the round. Yeah, there's a part of me that's terrified because I know that that could very easily happen. Moving on to the next game. <laughs> Saturday night footy at Marvel Stadium. This one could be a sneaky, a sneaky chance to be the game of the round. St Kilda versus Melbourne, Heaven versus Hell. I'll uh, let you get into this one, Eli. Do you reckon it will be Heaven's turn to triumph over Hell or will it be Hell's turn to triumph over Heaven? I'm going to go to the Saints on this one um, just simply because I think they could be contenders this year. Um, they, they showed that they had a mild improvement, not a mild improvement, a very good improvement from uh, 2019 to 20. Um, and I think they'll just keep uh, keep going up this year. Um, very good performance against GWS round one. Um, and I think they'll win this game by five goals. Melbourne will be a lot better. Um, if it went the other way, I would not be surprised at all. Um, but I think St Kilda will, um, they're going to start this season very strong and uh, they'll be 2 0 after Saturday night. Five goals. Wow. And I thought I was harsh on Melbourne. So I'm <laughs> tipping the Saints to win. Uh, I think it would be close on tipping the Saints to win by a couple of goals. Again, the reason why I'm tipping St. Kilda, I'm not tipping Melbourne. Melbourne had an easy victory against Fremantle, relatively bruise-free. St. Kilda, on the other hand, found themselves 16-odd points down in the last quarter in the pouring rain in Sydney, and they had to grind their way to victory, which they did. Because of that, I think they're going to bully Melbourne just a little bit. But also, you look at how Melbourne won last and against Fremantle, and that was mostly due to May and Lever's intercept marking. The Saints are going to allow that to happen, right? Because I think they killed it as a better team than Fremantle. They're not just going to keep kicking it up in the air to let May and Lever have a free run at it. It's just, just it's not going to happen. I thought the Saints were going to struggle against GWS because of St. Kilda's lack of big men, and they didn't. It, 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 it wasn't a problem for them. And so if it wasn't a problem against the likes of Shane Mumford, then I don't think it would be a problem against the likes of Max Gorn. Uh, it could be a very interesting game, though, and it might even be a preview of a September matchup. Maybe. Maybe. Thanks to win. Moving on to the Gold Coast hosting North Melbourne at Metricon Stadium. I don't think I have to explain this one, do I? Gold Coast by 55 points. Wow. Yep, that's the end. that's the end of that segment for me. Gold Coast by 55 points. The last time they played, the Suns went by, won by, I think, 63 points by memory. They should have won by 90. The only reason why they won by only 60-odd points was because of their inaccuracy. They should have won by 90-plus. 
I feel like 55 points might be a bit generous for North Melbourne, to be honest with you. Gold Coast to win comfortably. Uh, kiss of death, North Melbourne by 13 points. And Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Upset alert. Purely, for the, purely the kiss of death uh, and his Herald Sun tactics. Go for the team that should not win um, because I'm a terrible tipper. So I think if I tip North Melbourne, that could very well be the only game I'll get right. So um, we'll go for an upset there. Even though it wouldn't be that big of an upset, I think North Melbourne are going to be better than they were last year because um, they showed in the first quarter against Port. Um, do I genuinely think they'll beat the Gold Coast? Probably not, but I'll back them in. I'm going to go them by 13 points. Um, yeah, on to Sunday's game. Uh, I'm going to start off with Hawthorne and Richmond at the G. Hawthorne um, and Richmond at the G. Eli, can the Hawks do it two years in a row against the Tigers? No, absolutely not. Uh, the yeah, Tiger Army is going to be out in full force like we saw last Thursday. So um, even though it is technically an away game, I think that they're just going to start strong. Richmond, they're going to finish strong. They're going to play the middle part of the game strong and the Tiger Army will be absolutely loving it. And yeah, the song is going to be playing at the end of the day and I think it'll be a six-goal win. Yep, fair point. Look, it was one of the upsets of 2020 when it happened, when Hawthorne comfortably beat Richmond early in the year. And it became an even bigger upset when we, yeah, once we found out that Richmond won the flag and Hawthorne were as bad as they were. <laughs> I don't think the Tigers will be caught out by the Hawks again. And look, the third quarter was awesome from Hawthorne against Essendon. I was talking to MVD after the game and he described it as a game of two halves. And he's right. It's one half. You had a very even contest first and fourth quarter, and the two middle quarters were polar opposites. In that second quarter, Essendon kicked eight goals to one, seven of them in a row. And that was Essendon. I don't even want to think about what Brisbane or Port Adelaide or Richmond would do to Hawthorne if they get a run on that. Actually, I kind of do want to think about that. I do want to think about that. I like thinking about Hawthorne getting crushed. That's besides the point. Casper, when you uh, manifest or when you have thoughts, they often manifest, harness that good energy. And I think uh, those thoughts will be manifested Sunday afternoon at the MCG. Oh, I sure hope so. Tigers by 44 points. On to Marvel Stadium, the Dogs and the Eagles. Look, I think this game is the most deceptive game of the weekend, meaning that on paper, it looks like it's going to be a thriller but I think it would be a comfortable Bulldogs victory. Consider this. The Eagles just scraped past the Suns, even though Gold Coast had a massive injury lost, even though the Gold Coast were forced to use their medical substitute early, even though the Eagles were playing at home against uh, in a stadium where the Suns, I think, have only... Actually, I, I don't think the Suns have ever won at Optus Stadium, and I think they've only won once in Perth, and it was against 2016's Fremantle. And they trailed at three-quarter time by a point. The only one because the Suns ran out of gas. Meanwhile, the Dogs should have beaten Collingwood by more. And I look at it like this, right? West Coast's winning margin flattered West Coast, while the Bulldogs' winning margin flattered Collingwood. If the Eagles don't get their injured players back that they didn't have in round one, the margin could be even greater than the one I'm predicting the Dogs will win by. Dogs by 31 points. I'm going to disagree and go West Coast. Um, and again, uh, like I said, my tipping's worst, uh, terrible at the best of times, and especially round two of a season where we've had two massive upsets round one. Um, but yeah, I think West Coast will run out. I think they've got too strong a fall line um, for the Doggies' defence. Um with someone like Ryan Gardner, if they're going to have to take a Kennedy or a Darling matchup, I think that could be a difference. Um, and I think West Coast inside, um, the inside midfielders may possibly get over the Doggies. Um, Doggies got a lot of the great ball use on the outside, um, but West Coast defense has always been strong. Uh, especially once it gets out, um, they're able to, what well, they've been able to do for the last couple of years, especially under Adam Simpson, they've been able to, maintain that web and stop the doggies and their ball use is going to be fantastic all year 
um, because they've got some great use on the outside. Like I've mentioned, like uh, Hunter, McRae, Daniel. Um, and then, well, I mean, Trelaw is, I'm not sure he's improving, um, but let's face it, he's not the best ball user. The Bonts are a penetrating kick. He's, he's fantastic. Uh, we all know that. But um, I think West Coast who might be too strong in the middle part. Oh, the inside mid, especially. Uh, I still think doggies have the best midfield and depth in the competition. Um, but I think West Coast on this particular Sunday afternoon will uh, overpower them there. And once they get it forward, they're just going to be too strong for the doggies to uh, to be able to deal with. So I'm going to go West Coast by four goals. I think it could be a little bit of a, a surprise, um, but definitely do expect the doggies to put up a good fight. And if they get up, I would not be surprised in the slightest. Very interesting indeed. On to the final game of the round in Perth at Optus Stadium, Fremantle hosting GWS. Eli, which team will bounce back? GWS. Um, I think they showed show more signs round one, but I, I certainly think Fremantle is going to put up a good fight. Um, we showed last year that they were competitive with, um, with just about every um, flag contender. Um, for at least most parts of the game. Um, so I, I think GWS will win a close one. I'm going to go GWS, possibly the game of the round. Um, they're going to get up by four points. Ooh, what a thriller. I'm tipping, so. the Giants. I'm tipping the Giants more comfortably, 26 points. They had a golden opportunity, which was handed to them on a silver platter in round one, up by 16 points in the last quarter against a battered and bruised Saints, and they couldn't do it. Fremantle has uh, too many injuries, right? And also, I should mention, I know that the Giants collapse was the most devastating collapse of the weekend, but, you know, that's besides the point. Moving on. Fremantle, too many injuries to compete. Just too many injuries. And if they continue with the same game plan, which is just vomit long and high, the Giants' defense will swallow every single opportunity that they give it to them. As if the injuries before the Melbourne game wasn't bad enough, then Fremantle had two injuries during the Melbourne game. Alex Pierce, which we touched upon, and Joel Hamlin. Don't know how long those guys are going to be injured for. If they are out of the GWS game, then the Giants should record their first victory of the year. Even though I know Fremantle, better team in Perth than now. Away from Perth, the Giants should win this. You know, last year, the Dockers were very good. I think the one game that they were really disappointed in was losing to the Giants. I think they lost by five goals or so to GWS in Perth. Giants know how to beat the Dockers in Perth and they'll do it again. Now, you mentioned your blowout game of the round being Port Adelaide versus Essendon. I can see that happening. My blowout game of the round, perhaps unsurprisingly, is Gold Coast versus North Melbourne. North Melbourne supporters, look, there will be some joy for you this year. Uh, it's not going to be in round two, I don't think. Um, moving on to what we think the game of the round will be. Now, are you sticking with Fremantle GWS? I think that will be. Um, I'm, I'm hoping so. But I think you could almost guarantee that the uh, Geelong-Brisbane game um, probably the game of the round. I think regardless of the final result, like how um, I think either way, the line will be about four goals uh, max uh, victory. But um, I think you'll see a very good, uh, very good quality, very good standard of football. Um, down there in Geelong, I expect to be high scoring, um, uh, despite both teams' defense being quite strong. But uh, yeah, it's no secret that GMHBA Stadium is no MCG in terms of size. So I think, uh, yeah, that should be a very high quality standard of football. Um, or at least I'm hoping so, especially as a Brisbane fan. I'm hoping we bounce back and um, yeah, really step it up a notch um, just in terms of effort as well. So um, I think if Brisbane do that, Geelong will certainly match them in that and it'll be a war of attrition. So I'm looking forward to that game. But Casper, what game are you looking forward to the most? Sydney Adelaide. And I'm not just saying that as someone who loves the Swans, right? Two other games this round, Carlton versus Collingwood, Geelong versus Brisbane, showcase two teams against each other who are very evenly poised. But all four of those teams were really disappointed in round one. Compare that to Sydney v Adelaide, two very evenly matched teams, two teams that I think a lot of people were predicting to finish around similar parts of the ladder this season, finished around the same end of the ladder last year. These two teams are the future of the AFL. You look at the youngsters for the Swans, you look at the youngsters for the Crows. I predict 
This is a long-term prediction. I am predicting that by 2024, 2025, Adelaide and Sydney will be perennial contenders for the flag. Just like old times. Just like old times. <laughs> we'll see whether or not the Crows will be successful that time around, huh? After 2017. I know Adelaide fans, I know, sorry for mentioning it, but it just has to be mentioned how terrible you guys were on that day. That's besides the point. Not really, but that's besides the point. Anyways, thank you, Eli, for joining me for this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. I wish your lines well for Friday night, not just for the sake of my tips, but mostly for the sake of my tipping. No, thank you very much for having me, mate. It's good to be back on. Good to be chatting footy again. And uh, good to hopefully be going on some games in Melbourne, in Victoria throughout this season. So, no, thanks for having me, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. We'll be back next week to dissect round two and preview round three of the AFL season. But for now, sayonara. <laughs>